Hive Nation, and welcome to episode five of the Hive Nation podcast. Today, we have an amazing guest with us. Uh, Greg, we joked about our guest on episode four having a long bio. This one is going to take up the whole podcast. This is just uh, episode one of the podcast, and we're going to go to number two, like you said. <laughs> uh, just kidding. But today, we have with us uh, Miss Gail McDonald. Um, Gail is a, an absolute gem of experience within the ag industry and she has expanded her, her thralls, if you want to call it that, uh, to many other industries, uh, including real estate and uh, philanthropy and sh she will definitely talk about it more than I will, but um, she's gone everywhere from professional services within the ophthalmology uh, type of profession all the way up to board of directors to motherhood to grandmother to uh i mean you name it i could go on grain farmer uh retail sports equipment biz um oil field real estate daycare uh, and it goes on and on and on and uh literally it's uh it's it's another podcast so um uh, miss mcdonald thank you for being with us today you're welcome um, my uh, my first question, and to, to get the the ball rolling, is um, how did you transition, or why did you transition from a professional services type of industry as an ophthalmologist, or in that ophthalmology type of profession, to being an entrepreneur? Um, well, I was an orthoptist, so I worked with children with lazy eyes, people with double vision, that type of thing. I had a clinic at the Pasco Hospital in Regina, and. Um, at the time, my husband and I, uh, two little kids, um, born in Regina, and we were working extremely hard. Um, the daycare thing, it just it was it was crazy busy. In the well, early '90s, I guess uh, we moved to Regina <coughs> in '85. Um, it was starting to wear on us as far as fatigue went and we were working our butts off and it seemed like we weren't getting anywhere. So we thought if we're gonna work this hard, we might as well do it for ourselves. And my husband had an opportunity to uh, move to Kindersley and take over a fuel dealership with Imperial Oil. And so we thought, well, let's take the, take the leap. And it was definitely a leap. Um, there was no ophthalmology clinic or department out in Kindersley, so they had no need for an orthoptist. I thought about staying in the industry, but it just wasn't going to happen. And I loved it. It's so awesome because you're working in healthcare with healthy people and you don't get very many opportunities to do that. Um, so we moved to Kindersley, started the uh, um, fuel dealership and um, after a few years we transitioned to own our own independent agriculture retail business that was in 2000 um, we started GMAX Ag Team in the meantime in 1994 our youngest daughter was born so we had three little kids so working for yourself it did have some demands on the marriage and the time allocation, but it also provided some flexibility. So I had a playpen set up at the office and I took the baby in 
Um, when she was first born, I moved the computer home. Um, she was born on a, on a Tuesday and the next Monday we moved the computer home. And so tried to keep up there. When I look back, I probably wasn't doing anything as well as I should have on the mother side or on the work side, <laughs> but um, you did as well as you could with what you had to work with. So yeah, and then in 2000, we um, started GMAX Egg Team. Actually, I started it. He had, my husband had a uh, competition um, agreement with Imperial Oil where he couldn't be part of the business for the first year. So I was the founder um, and then he came on a year later and we didn't uh, have fuel. We, we gave up the fuel industry and went straight into crop inputs. Um, it was fun growing it. We started it basically from nothing and grew it to a um, very successful business. One of the issues with that is we both worked hard on the business and didn't work as hard on the marriage. Mm -hmm. And that was unfortunate, but um, we've both gone our separate ways since then. And um, in 2015, I sold out of the business and relocated to Saskatoon. So the, the egg industry is so progressive. Farmers are the smartest people that there are, that, they, that there is. Um, they need to be engineers, they need to be agronomists, they need to be financial experts, they need to be legal experts, they need to manage staff, they need to um, you know, be ready to work when the work is ready to be done. And, they, and the safety sides and the food security sides, they don't get the accolades that, that is deserving. And, um, Speaking with a farmer, you can talk anything from, you know, maybe not opera, but you could talk anything <laughs> uh, from, you know, entertainment to um, changing shovels to nozzle sizes to seed placement and seed security. I mean, it's, it's, um, they're brilliant and they don't get any, they get very little recognition um, and maybe part of it is the marketing of the egg industry I mean how many posters do we see where the poster boy has car hearts and a straw sticking out of his yeah. you know that's not there are there are successful young business people that um, are extremely successful in the egg industry women and and men um, starting to be more and more women, but again, it is definitely still a male-dominated industry. Um, it's it's changing slowly, but but it's it's baby steps. Yeah. It wouldn't be it just because it should change, and there's opportunities to change. There's more pushback to change than there is um, drive to to make it easier. Yep. And I think you could say that in any industry. Complacency is so um, so much a detriment to progress. I, I've heard that I, when I was in the egg industry as well. I had some clients that were mechanical engineers. Their farm between 
the three, four brothers on it had six different businesses within the farm. Mm. But people still view them as well. They just scratch the dirt and plant the seed and yeah. go away. It's like, those are multi-million dollar corporations. Exactly. Yeah. They're, yes, a farmer, a mechanic, an engineer, an accountant, a bot, like everything. And yeah. people, like, even not getting into the male dominance of it, just the diversity within that. Mm-hmm. It's huge. And mm-hmm. It's starting to become more of a recognized thing, but like you said, it's easier just to be complacent and just yeah. keep on keeping on. When we drive down the province highway in West, well, in Western Canada, um, people see, well, that's, you know, what's that green thing out there? What's growing out there? Or what are they spraying? Or what are they doing to our environment? They don't drive down there and say, hey, that is wheat that we're gonna, you know, how many millions of loaves of bread can that Mm -hmm. field um, supply? Or, you know, how many tons of lentils are gonna be that plant-based protein product? Um, You know, what, what are we doing as far as, how proud can we be in the prairies of the food security production that is global? because there's no possible way that we can consume everything that we produce in, in the province. Not. <laughs> not a chance. Nope. And so we have that global responsibility and the producers take it and it's all on their backs to, um, to produce clean, um, healthy food within the parameters of the uh, governing bodies that, um, you know, the export bodies and the import, uh, the people that import it. And um, the demands are, and the parameters are very strict. And the producers can manage this on a large scale. Mm-hmm. And, and the province um, benefits so much from it and people don't understand it. And when policy is made by people that don't understand an industry and that's what's happening we're we're getting fewer and fewer people that are actually connected to the production side on anything Mm -hmm. and the ones that aren't connected are the ones that are making policy and Mm. you know it doesn't make sense um i would just like to back up just a wee little bit uh i'm just reading through my notes here and i wanted to ask you about this so when you started that daycare center Did you have that in mind because of the amount of women that are that are entering or re-entering the workforce, and there was kind of a, a, a need for that within the, you know, the, the the both parents working, whether it be off the farm or some other business, but both parents working away. And um, well, the daycare we, it's I built it. Um, Warman Homes built it, and they we had a design of. Um, the the room sizes and so on for this daycare center. Plenty is my hometown and my daughter and her husband live out there and there were some people that were that had day homes that were babysitting. My sister-in-law is was one of them and they all wanted to retire and uh, no one was coming coming forward to say they were going to provide childcare. and at the time my daughter and her husband had two little boys and they're both working. 
and uh, I thought, well, if I put a daycare in, I might get another grandchild. So, <laughs> <laughs> and actually, it worked. <laughs> but, uh, but it was kind of giving back to my home community and and kind of um, trying a, a template as to see, you know, will this work? Um, so we built the daycare, bought some property in Plenty, moved it out there, set up a not-for-profit to, to run it, <clears throat> to manage it. Um, and right off the bat, we said, this is how much it costs to put this facility in place. Any additions to it, we're not gonna take um, as our own, that will go for, with the daycare. The goal is for them to buy me out. Right now, they are renting it from me, and uh, but they know that any improvements stay with the, with the daycare. So um, I think we're working on them buying me out and, and having the facility owned by the community. I think that would be better for the community because- oh, that's, that's, very it's, cool. Yeah, it's a very cool uh, concept of you know, a not-for-profit, especially in a small community where it's hard to attract, you know, caregivers and, mm -hmm. you know, people like that. Well, and the problem there too is we have attracted staff and we train them and then the school division <laughs> scoops them up and uh, takes them on as EAs. And um, so getting staff has been a little bit of a struggle. I but. see an <clears throat> HR company in your future. Yeah. I don't think so. <laughs> She's in the same boat as us. We appreciate HR, but we are not HR people. Well, actually, I just hired a young girl who has just finished her degree at Edwards in HR. Oh, nice. And uh, and she's going to start working with me in Studio 301 and um, managing a few of the other things we have going on here. Very so cool. It's not out of the picture, but... Uh, um, if you're looking for a good janitor, uh, <laughs> I'm always looking for a good janitor. <laughs> JB's height's good for many things. Leverage on the bottom is one of them. <laughs> okay, I will remember that after the Super Bowl party. Hey, I might be hungover. No, I'm just kidding. Um, another question I've got for you, Gail, is uh, so what benefits of being an entrepreneur can you share with the Higher Nation podcast? that you find is the most rewarding, and then on the flip side, the least rewarding? Um, I guess the most rewarding is you can figure out your own path. You can have a look and see what direction you wanna go. And, and some people choose to go a direction that's already paved and follow something that's already been proven and they go into that industry. I maybe wasn't smart enough to do that. I sort of look for areas that haven't been um, really taken care of or haven't been provided for and um, or people that are struggling and could use some, some support. Um, so I think being able to choose what you're going to do next is uh, is kind of fun. It It's not always the most profitable area to go because there are um, there are learning curves and there are, we chuck everything up to tuition, anything that goes wrong. 
you can learn from it and just yeah. call it tuition because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> tuition isn't always worth it but um, as far as the investment goes but you do learn something so um, I would say yeah an opportunity to to choose to do what you want to do next um, <clears throat> the difficult side would be um, it's still it still is a male dominated area and one thing that would be a difficult space for female spouses is whenever there's a deal put together for going forward um, a lot of times bankers and lawyers and the male of the pair would go and set this whole thing up and figure out the deals and figure out what they want to do and then there's a box that needs to be ticked about independent legal advice for the wife and so she comes in at the last minute has no idea what has been discussed has no idea what um what the deal looks like and hasn't had an opportunity to be part of um, developing that or, or offer ideas or anything. And they say, well, okay, you just need to go over to this legal office, usually a lawyer that they've never met before, take this document and you need to get independent legal advice and then you need to sign a personal guarantee on this because your husband did. And if you're back in half an hour, we can fund it today. <laughs> And uh, so everybody around the table is like, yeah, just go and get this done and sign it and bring it back. And so she's there and it's like, okay, if I, what if I don't like this? What if I don't like, well, just sign it. I mean, we're ready to do this. Why do you have to be so difficult? Mm -hmm. But to bring someone in at the last minute and say, hey, um, here's this document. We've lined up this lawyer that you've never met before you got to go sign it. She's going to, she or he is going to talk to you about what this means. And then we'll see you back here at three. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, that has to stop before, before anything else gets going. That would be one of the most difficult parts for, um, spouses as far as an entrepreneur space would go. So more like a, a full disclosure almost to start with. Well, why wouldn't you? Yeah. Like if you flipped it around and the and the wife went out and and set everything up and then brought hubby in oh, at the last minute and go. said, "Can you sign this?" Just zero chance. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. why is it different? I can't leave your corner like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's something Jason and me talk about ad nauseum: transparency, communication in any setting. If you're a team, no matter if you're business partners husband, wife, any kind of partnership, any team, full transparency and communication. Yes, not everybody needs to know every single detail, but if it's relevant to you, you need to know. Yeah. Not, hey, we need to do this in 10 minutes, here you go. Silence. What? Yeah. You know, ridiculous. It's, it's funny that you'd say that, Greg, because you know, with the episodes that we've had so far, there's a theme involved in all this as, it, as everybody talks, yes. right? And it's team and yeah. it's yeah. full disclosure within the team. And if you are a true team, you win. Yeah. It's funny how that works. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like, it's a revolutionary idea. <laughs> yeah. And it isn't, you know, <laughs> and, uh, there's been a lot of people talk about the new generation being out in the workforce 
and how demanding they are and how much they, you know, I, they want to know. Well, um, if you have people involved in your business and they, they have things to contribute, why pigeonhole them? Mm -hmm. Like why, why? I think that it's a, um, I think it's a caution to the older generation that there's, there's so much fear that someone else might know more than, than we do. And I'm so thankful when people know more than I do, because well, it doesn't take very much, but um, I have a young guy that works with me and he's been working with me since 2000, since 2016. And I've exposed him to everything from, like he's involved in all the legal agreements and all the financing agreements and, and everything. And if I ask him to do a spreadsheet on something, I'll have it in my head of what it wants, what I want it to look like. And he brings it back and it's like 20 times better. Mm -hmm. So why would I try to harness that and, and make him, you know, go through business with blinders on when he has so much more to contribute. And I think that that's going to be the success in hiring this generation is they want to work differently. They want to have flexibility, but they also want to contribute. I don't believe that money is the driver. Mm -hmm. um, those other three things are more of a driver than, than money. Mm -hmm. And I mean, compensation needs to be reasonable. They, they have to live, but my nephew, who is this young fellow I'm talking with, they have one little boy and he's about 15 months, year and a half now, and they have another one on the way. I just said, we're setting up a playpen in the office. Like mm -hmm. there will be days when he can't go to daycare. Mm -hmm. um, we are open to whatever we need to do to make his life as flexible as it can be when you are a parent. And it's not when you're a mom, mm -hmm. it's when you're a parent. And uh, uh, so yeah, it's been, it's worked out great. He, comes and goes as he needs to with the baby being a priority and and they should be my goodness if we have if we stop educated people from procreating we're shooting ourselves in the are foot we ever? are we ever and so we have to create ways that that uh, we can all be involved in that accommodating like that's that's a that's a big deal like yeah. i mean that's that's excellent i mean it doesn't matter what time gets you, the work gets done. Right. Uh, Henry Ford came up with the 40 hour work week. That's not necessarily the proper way of doing mm -hmm. business today. Well, Henry's dead. He is long gone. And so maybe that, and maybe it's a 60 hour work week mm -hmm. in some weeks, and maybe some weeks it's a 10. Exactly. We talked about the younger generation, the new generation coming into the workplace. For the females that are doing that, is there something that you could tell them that just because you're a female, don't let that limit you? Uh, because it doesn't matter what gender you are or how, how you identify, you if you provide value, that value will be given back. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. uh, Be prepared to speak up. Be, I guess, first of all, be prepared and then be prepared to share it. And um, I think a, a lot of times there's a reluctance for 
for females to speak up, but then there's also some that just go on and on and on, and it's like, could you just get to the point? <laughs> but that happens in, that's, you know, across, It's that's a human thing. There are some men that just talk, it would be shut up already. But, <laughs> uh, and I find myself doing that, where you start talking and then the squirrel happens and it's like, Okay, the question is over here. How did I hear that? <laughs> but um, yeah, for for young for younger women and younger younger people, um, just be prepared and be present and be be pertinent and don't think you need to comply with everything that's mm. already there. Um, agreeing is fine, but if there's if there's something that could be said to make the decision even better um share it mm -hmm. and whenever someone comes to me with an idea or um, an opportunity I, I always ask them okay what could why is this not a good idea why is this why would this not work and so if they say well this could happen well how difficult would it be to fix that mm -hmm. or what could we do to fix that and if there's something that is, um, you know, say, I want to park my truck in the middle of the ice and leave it there for two years. Well, why is that not a good idea? You know, <laughs> what could go wrong with yeah. that? And if there's something that you could have that, um, that would make it possible and it's a good idea, then, okay, let's cover that. But if it's not a good idea, eh, mm -hmm. it might not work. Let's just take it off of that ice. Um, but... I think being prepared, not being scared to speak up, know your stuff, listen to what people are saying, and um, there's a fine line between thinking about what you're going to say next and and thinking about what is going to be pertinent to share. Because yes. a lot of times if you're talking to someone, you know that they're not listening to you at all. All they're mm -hmm. doing is thinking about what they're going to say next. Yeah. And um, it might have zero relevance to the conversation, yeah. but they want to be heard. And you also um, like to stick your neck out and to contribute. When, when we go back to that team idea, um, if there's an idea that comes from a company or from a boardroom or from a whatever, it comes from that group of people and and if everyone puts their ideas into the pot what comes out of it isn't is not likely to be the one thing that one person said or you know they don't go in there and have it this is this pool of ideas is mine and that's what's going out if that happens it's useless to even get together <laughs> but what comes out is the best of all of those ideas. So if you if you don't have people sharing, um, you're you're not going to get the best. And if people are reluctant to share, even if the idea is bad, there might be some part of it that is, hey, wait a minute, we didn't think of that. Um, and so why would you want to stifle that? Yeah, the bottom line is being open to share. <laughs> yeah, right? like just yeah. no matter what. Yeah, it's it's our responsibility to to provide assistance and to provide opportunities. I guess that would be part of what I want to do with 
these buildings and with my my part going forward is give people an opportunity to contribute. People don't want to um, just exist. People want to figure out the skills that they have and, and contribute. And um, we have taken those opportunities away from an entire um, demographic of our society. And it's up to us to work alongside and create opportunities and um, to, opportunities that will benefit everyone. Mm -hmm. So throughout this conversation, communication has been a big theme, but community also seems to be very important with you, with the daycare and plenty and wanting to make that plan for the community to own it and passing down knowledge to younger people that work with you that you've been around. Um, so what does philanthropy mean to you and what does that space look like in your world? Um, the philanthropy space for me is would be more a uh, creating opportunity space. Um, things like with the food bank, um, you know, we can keep giving food to the food bank and teach people how to use a can opener, or we can swing it around and teach people how to provide for themselves. Um, I grew up with a large family, limited means, but one skill set that my mother taught me was how to make something out of nothing and how to go and get the freezer burnt meat and the rotten vegetables and and make soup and make mm -hmm. stews and you know those types of things um, and we you know I had two sets of clothes one that I wore for school and one that I wore for play and it wasn't a hardship to not wear Armani you know right. it's um, it's it's something on your back it's shoes mm -hmm. on your feet Got us thinking this morning, I didn't know what shoes to wear. Well, isn't it great that you have a choice? Yeah, it really um, is. So it's like on the philanthropy side, yeah, we, people that need support, um, we need to do what we can to uh, encourage them to, and help them develop the skills to contribute. Mm -hmm. And once we do that, um, it would, you know, it'll just exponentially improve. Mm -hmm. And I, I would like to see things go in that direction. Things like, um, well, Telemiracle is coming up here in Saskatoon yep. in a few weeks. Um, I'm looking at <clears throat> building accessible housing units. And, you know, not because I wanna have a place for people to just go and, you know, hunker down and stay there forever, but because you want to provide an opportunity for people to have access to facilities and have access to um, what they can do to contribute. And mm -hmm. I would see that as a, as a piece is not so much just signing a check, um, but encouraging people that have skills to actually contribute and maybe providing the means for them to to show their own skills. So things like I'm in, I'm also involved with the Red Cross. I don't think that I put that in my resume, but um, 
there are so many sides to the Red Cross and it's such a fantastic organization and there's a philanthropy side that is so crucial but there's also a volunteer side and if the if the volunteer side wasn't there what good are they yeah you know these are people they volunteer they have skills and they have gone through extensive training and they have given of their time and what's the most precious gift and it's not dollars yeah. it's time and it, I think that if we change that definition of success um, and take it away from from monetary and put it into uh, a humanistic type of a celebration um, we could probably see a shift in in society but it's that's not going to happen because no. money is such a driver of uh, you know, they they talk about the fortune 500 they don't talk about the um, time committed volunteer 500 no. that's that's a big reason I always ask what the definition of philanthropy to people is like anything the perspective when you hear that word you think of the, the people mainly guys that can give millions of dollars a year and it's a big grandiose gesture that's great there's a spot for that but we need that in our business in the hive coaching mentorship the impact that all the time that coaches spent with me as an athlete growing up i spent more time with my coach than i did with my parents mm -hmm. every weekend they had kids too they flew around the country with us thankless at times yes but the impact and the time and dedication like that is philanthropy as well yeah mm -hmm. and being able to offer the experience to other people you've walked that path mm -hmm. here's what i did here's the brick wall i ran into mm -hmm. here's how not to do that yeah yeah and if you do here's how to come back and yet we also don't have the right to take away people's opportunity to fail mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i think that a lot of children that come from means um are so controlled and managed that they don't learn how to fail because failure is like if you don't fail you don't grow it's the greatest learning tool and you know but if something happens that is a little bit of a detriment to you know maybe you break your arm falling off the teeter-totter or you get a sliver going down a wooden slide well so you don't have to remove the whole playground <laughs> no. Because you got a sliver, like, hang on, yep. think about it, you know, don't let, you know, don't let someone get off the other end when you're at the top, right? <laughs> Pay attention to what you're doing. But um, it's the way you put it with the coaches and, and so on and those people that made an impact in your life. Um, that is philanthropy. It, it isn't always signing the front of the check because mm -hmm. It's, that's the easy part. Mm -hmm. Signing the front of the check is the easy part. Yeah. And um, I, I just really would like to see more people celebrated that, that, uh, that are giving of their time, that are mm -hmm. sharing their experience, and that are um, you know, dedicated to continuing heritage and learning and languages and um, you know how to make pierogies uh, all of those types of things um, 
we need to we need to focus on that a little bit more mm -hmm. and celebrate it. Agreed. The thing about it though too, Gail, in the same breath is that a lot of those people really don't want the recognition. It's not, they don't do it for the recognition right. as per se, right? right? They do it for the, you know, like Greg said, like the, the mentorship, the coaching, the, you know, they, they want to invest their time with these people without having to take any take back from it. You know, it's very, they're very, you know, self-aware of what they do for that next person is going to make that person that much better. And so if, if that person can offer that and do that, you know, and make that person that much better, I think that's all the recognition that they wanted. They don't, they don't need a, a headline or, a, mm -hmm. no, they or don't. an award ceremony. And they actually learn, there's very few people that, um, that do mentoring that, that don't take something away from it. For sure. You know, um, like I've used to, play in a band and we would go and perform at a senior's home. And is that philanthropy? I don't know. We did it because it entertained people that didn't have a whole bunch going on in their world. Mm -hmm. But what we received back was tenfold what we gave. Mm -hmm. Because it it's such a great feeling to share what you have to offer with others. And um, I think that's why hanging out with grandchildren is so fun. Mm -hmm. um, it's and and watching them learn. Like one of the things that I've said to my grandchildren, the older two are, well, soon to be nine, and uh, right now they're eight and seven. And uh, I, they'll say, "Well, Grandma, I can't do that." And I, my line is, "Don't forget the yet." And so now they know, Grandma, I can't do that. And I'll look at them and they'll say. Yeah. So <laughs> that's awesome. things like the monkey bars or, yeah. you know, I don't know, making the bed or reaching for something or, you know, and it's not always, um, it's not always easy to let them fail, but whenever they do conquer it, they're so proud of themselves and, and it's, it's pretty cool. And kids are so smart. We just oh, need yeah. to let them learn yeah. and let them do stuff. But yeah, they'll they'll look at me and they'll say, "Yet." Yeah, yeah that's that's fun. It, it's funny that you would mention that you played in the seniors home. My uh, my I Facetime with my ninety-one-year-old mother last night. Okay? Oh, okay. And she is in a seniors home and she plays the organ. Okay. Yeah. So she just told me a story last night that she was playing the organ for like the people in the home. And I was bugging her, I said, well, and she said, yeah, I played for an hour. I said, oh, that's a lot of your time. Why don't you put out a tip jar so you can get some of these old folks money? And she, <laughs> she laughed and she said, oh, come on, Jason, I don't do it for the money, I'd never do it. It's just for the entertainment value, yeah. right? And it's, it's, yeah. it's fun that you would say that, the, kind of the exact same story, mm -hmm. that you know she does it just for the fun of it, and you did it for the entertainment value of it for them as well. Oh, for sure, and it was fun. And you know, we kind of had a joke where, They'd say, well, what are you charging? Well, we're charging twice as much as we did last year or last time we were here. And, you know, zero. Zero, so yeah. Just a, they were charging double. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, you know, they'd get a kick out of it. And, yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's it, it's necessary. And, and to teach kids to do that um, is instead of hiring people to do it all the time it's we're, we're losing a piece of, of um, 
empathy. Actually, I was told by, I went to a counselor with going through all the things that I've gone through and, and she said, uh, Gail, you have such a high level of empathy. And she almost said it as if it was a bad thing. And I said to her, if our world loses empathy, where are we going? Mm -hmm. No, uh, this was a fantastic conversation. Yeah, yeah. we could probably be here all Three day. more hours at least. <laughs> we should probably, uh, we should probably let you get to the rest of your day. So. Uh, Hive Nation, thanks for Gail McDonald uh, for being here today. Uh, just another fantastic uh, episode. Thank you. It's yeah, been a, a lot of fun, and I hope that I uh, didn't bore you too much. No, it's no, fantastic. Yeah. Hive Nation, we're out.